0: This is episode number 19 of the all-new Doc Washburn Show. It is Friday, November 5th, 2021. Yes, I was fired by one of the biggest radio companies in America, Cumulus Media, simply because I refused their vaccine mandate. Yes, it's obvious last November's presidential election was stolen. No, my old employer wouldn't let me say that on the radio, and yes... There's all kinds of evidence out there that a lot of people are having serious negative reactions to the vaccines. So this is a really different kind of talk show. We are unmasked, uncensored, and unfiltered. Now, before I get to today's news, I want to tell you about a personal journey I've been on for 13 years and how, by the grace of God, I discovered the best-kept secret in American healthcare. I have hoped and prayed for years For the opportunity to share this on a national stage. And I'm thankful the Lord has opened the door for me to do so. Back in 2008, I was living in Brunswick, Georgia, selling radio commercials. That's where I met a doctor who taught me about a crucial part of health care that most of us have never heard of. Okay, here goes. Your skull weighs somewhere between 8 and 15 pounds. It rests on the top bone of your spinal column, the atlas or C1 bone, which only weighs 2 ounces. So it's really easy for that atlas bone to get out of alignment. If it does get out of alignment, it can cause your spinal column to get kinked up like a chain. So that can lead to big problems because that's where your central nervous system is located. If your spinal column gets kinked up, it can cause your central nervous system to be unable to send impulses to the rest of your body as God designed it to do. So you need to find out if you need an upper cervical care doctor. They're the doctors who take x-rays of your head and neck to see if your atlas is out of alignment. And if it is, they're the doctors who will adjust your atlas to get it back in alignment and you feel better. At the time I found out about this over 13 years ago, I was a single dad and my mom was helping me raise my six children. So I went home and told her about this doctor I met who adjusts people's atlases. And about the results he was getting. She said, Doc, you have to take your son, Steve. He's only 13 years old, and I'm afraid he's developing scoliosis, curvature of the spine. He can't sit up straight. He can't stand up straight. And he has migraines all the time. So I took Steve. He got his atlas adjusted, and immediately he sat up straight and he stood up straight. After his third adjustment, the migraines went away for good. Then my mom told me, Doc, look at yourself in the mirror. Your shoulders are off balance, and you have bad headaches all the time. I think you need to get your atlas adjusted. So I did, and the migraines went away. But I also realized that I had been suffering through a low-grade but consistent head and neck ache caused by several auto-relaxants I had been in over the past 20 years. So that consistent low-grade head and neck ache went away immediately, and I instantly realized I had been walking around in a fog for several years. Getting my atlas adjusted was like coming up out of the ether. But what really surprised me was when springtime came around, and for the first time I could remember, I didn't have hay fever. Well, that was quite a shock because I had had really bad hay fever every spring going all the way back to my school days. Folks who have their atlases adjusted have reported success with not just migraines, not just allergies, but fibromyalgia, acid reflux, and even eczema. It's all about adjusting the atlas to remove the obstruction that keeps your central nervous system from sending impulses to different parts of your body as it's designed to do. Now, I've been under this kind of care for over 13 years in three different states. I think I would probably be in a wheelchair by now if I hadn't found out about getting my atlas adjusted. My wife and I know many people this has helped. If you're wondering if you need to get your atlas adjusted, look in the mirror or look at a picture of yourself. Do your eyes look off balance? Do your shoulders look off balance? Do you naturally tilt your head to one side or the other? When you sit on the sofa, are you most comfortable leaning one way or the other? If you answered yes to any of those questions, you probably need to get your atlas adjusted. If you'd like to get a free consultation with a doctor near you who adjusts atlases, go to the website TurnMyPowerOn.com. We link to it on our website turnmypoweron.com. You'll be glad you did. All right, let's get right into the news. Marjorie Taylor Greene, the wonderful freshman congresswoman from northwest Georgia, who, along with Judge Louis Gomert, congressman out of Texas, have been trying to get into the jail in Washington, D.C., where the January 6th political prisoners are being held. Here's what she said first thing this morning on Twitter. She said, last night, we toured the D.C. jail. My staff and I are writing a full report this morning on our three-plus hour-long tour. I've never seen human suffering like I witnessed last night. While some were shown to us in seemingly beneficial programs, others were in torturous lockdown. Some inmates were receiving continuing education classes. Others were truly suffering from long stays in solitary confinement for so-called bad behavior. I'll never forget hearing their screams. This was in a different part of the jail, not the January 6th part. Being alone surely is hell. She says, at what seemed the end of our tour, as we were being led toward the exit, we had not seen the January 6th defendants yet. I asked to see them and was told it was not part of my tour. I demanded to see them and would have gone scorched earth if I was not allowed and was making it known. Phone calls were made and permission was given. We then were taken to another section of the jail and entered the patriot wing. I was greeted by men with overwhelming cheers who rushed out to meet me with tears streaming down their faces. They have felt forgotten and hopeless. It was like walking into a prisoner of war camp and seeing men who, whose eyes can't believe someone had made it in to see them. They are suffering greatly, virtually no medical care, very poor food quality and being put through re-education, which most of them are rejecting. Our detailed report will outline everything we saw in every area of the jail we were allowed to see on behalf of all inmates. I am committed to ending this political war and seeing that our justice system is never used against Americans as a political weapon ever again. She says, I am also beginning a plan for real prison reform. Our nation is broken and our people are divided. It's time to fix it. God bless Marjorie Taylor Greene. U.S. Congresswoman from Georgia, God bless Judge Louis Gohmert, U.S. Congressman from Texas, and the handful, the small handful of others like Matt Gates out of Northwest Florida, who have spoken up for the January 6 political prisoners. It is uh, quite an indictment, I believe, on the overwhelming majority of people in our United States Senate and our United States House who have not said one word to support these men. And I'll say it, it is quite an indictment on former President Donald J. Trump who has not lifted a finger to help them. No, no legal defense fund, no GoFundMe, no give, send, go, no whatever after he said, we're going to walk over there and peacefully protest. And then he didn't go with them after he said he would. And then January 6th was a setup by the feds. It was a setup. It was a setup. Trump supporters had no intention of being violent that day, but they were attacked. They were attacked let me share it with you a little bit, a couple of brand-new articles from the great Julie Kelly over at American Greatness. The first one entitled, Ten Months Later, The Washington Post Finally Reveals Sketchy Details on So-Called Pipe Bombs. Was it just another stunt to fuel panic and outrage about January 6th? And here it goes. Several storylines related to the events of January 6th have crumbled under closer scrutiny over the past 10 months. The so-called fire extinguisher murder of Officer Brian Sicknick. The notion it was an armed insurrection and a grand conspiracy concocted by right-wing militias. Claims that the building suffered $30 million in damages and so on. All these storylines have crumbled. In the meantime, the Biden regime has attempted to cover up key aspects of that day, including the name of the officer who shot and killed Ashley Babbitt, which was only recently revealed. Justice Department lawyers continue to resist the release of 14,000 hours of surveillance video, and the U.S. Capitol Police refused to publish an 800-page internal investigation on officer misconduct, as well as internal communications before and after the Capitol breach. But a deep dive by the Washington Post published last weekend raises new questions about the alleged pipe bombs discovered just before Congress met on January 6th to certify the results of the 2020 Electoral College vote. Like so many supporting scenes, the veracity of the pipe bomb tale is in doubt after the Washington Post revealed eyebrow-raising details about those involved. And starting with the justified premise that nothing about January 6, especially anything bolstered by official government agencies in the nation's capital, should be accepted at face value. To wit, all claims should be met with deep skepticism. The pipe bombs appear to be more stagecraft with no connection whatsoever to Trump or his supporters. On the eve of January 6, a shadowy figure caught on video allegedly planted two pipe bombs outside the headquarters of the Republican National Committee and Democrat National Committee, both located close to the U.S. Capitol building. Security camera footage posted by the FBI shows a man in a gray hoodie wearing a face mask and gloves, carrying a backpack in the same vicinity between 7.30 and 8.30 p.m. on January 5th. Video and photographs posted by the agency, however, do not show the suspect actually placing devices near the buildings. According to FBI bulletin, the bombs were made of one-times-eight-inch thread galvanized pipes, a kitchen timer, and homemade black powder. Carlin Younger, an emergency management specialist at the Department of Commerce, working remotely that day, said she had noticed the device wedged between a garbage can and a fence on her way to do laundry that afternoon. Ms. Younger, a Wisconsin native, told a Madison magazine a few days later, it's just by chance I did laundry when I did. I don't think anyone else would have walked by unless they were taking out the garbage. Ms. Younger alerted security guards at the RNC who concluded it indeed was a bomb Police then located a similar device outside the DNC building about a block away. Law enforcement immediately ordered the first round of several evacuations that day. In a statement issued on January 7th, Capitol Police reported that, quote, the devices were disabled and turned over to the FBI for further investigation and analysis, unquote. In a separate interview with the Wisconsin television station, January 15th, Ms. Younger said her gut instinct kicked in before she approached security guards. She said, if you see something, say something. Ms. Younger also has a background in counterterrorism and worked for a political risk consulting firm in London a few years ago. Now, the Washington Post's account of bomb-related activity prior to January 6 focused on Dr. Donnell Harvin, described as the head of intelligence for Washington, D.C.'s Department of Homeland Security. Dr. Harvin said he worried for weeks about potential violence on January 6th, so much, in fact, that Dr. Harvin called a major planning meeting with his intelligence team a week before, during the tabletop exercise. The Washington Post revealed a young analyst was ready to present a worst-case scenario. Someone could plant an improvised explosive device near the Capitol. With law enforcement distracted, extremists might then band together and attack government buildings, maybe even the Capitol. And irony of ironies, that's precisely what happened. Capitol Police, according to the Washington Post timeline, responded to the pipe bomb threat around 12.45 p.m. on January 6th. Here's a quote from the Post. The activity proved a distraction for officers guarding the Capitol a DC Homeland Security official assigned to keep eyes on the swelling crowd was sitting in a black SUV on the east side of the Capitol by a row of Capitol Police bomb squad trucks. Suddenly, officers jumped into several of the trucks near him. The official called Dr. Don L. Harvin. The two flashed back to their tabletop exercise December 30th and how an analyst had imagined a scenario in which improvised explosive devices could be used to distract law enforcement before an attack on the Capitol. Is this really happening, the official asked Harvin? Unquote. Fascinating. So a fleet of bomb squad trucks just happened to be on the east side of the Capitol complex, which just happens to be the location of both the RNC and DNC headquarters at exactly the same time a device is found. And what about young Ms. Carlin Younger? She just happens to be an emergency management specialist working at the time with a network of first responders when she located the device. Donnell Harvin's full title, by the way, is Chief of Homeland Security and Intelligence for the District of Columbia Homeland Security and Emergency Management Agency. Now, according to his profile at Georgetown University, Don L. Harvin's primary focus is to integrate emergency preparedness and intelligence information collection, analysis, and dissemination throughout the national capital region. In this role, he assures that his team provides tactical and strategic intelligence, that is, collection, analysis, and dissemination, to support local and federal law enforcement agencies, first responders, Homeland Security, Emergency Management, Public Health, and Private Sector Stakeholders. And the person who discovered the mysterious pipe bomb is in the same government field. Another crazy coincidence. What's even crazier is despite a $100,000 reward and the fact the FBI has used every invasive surveillance tool imaginable, to locate capital trespassers, including geofence warrants to track cell phone usage of January 6 protesters, the suspect has not been caught or even identified. Now, how can this be? How can this be? More than 650 Americans have been rounded up and arrested for minor crimes, but the premier law enforcement agency in the land can't find a guy who planted two bombs walking around Capitol Hill in plain sight? And where is a forensic report on the remains of the devices? Is it more likely that the December 30th tabletop exercise held by the D.C. Department of Homeland Security did not anticipate a bomb scare but rather planned for a bomb scare? There's no such thing as coincidence when it comes to anything out of the Democrat party's fiefdom of Washington, DC. It's increasingly clear that the pipe bomb tale was just another stunt to fuel panic and outrage about January six. And that is the great Julie Kelly over at American greatness, her new article entitled 10 months later. Now I, uh, I'm going to share with you her other new article because, look, she's doing what the rest of the media should be doing, and this one's uh, much shorter. It's called J6 Detainee Subjected to Post-Lawyer Meeting Strip Search. Immediately following an in-person meeting with his defense attorney, Robert Morse, a January 6 detainee held in part of the D.C. jail system, used exclusively to incarcerate capital defendants was subjected to a strip search where he was verbally and physically abused by prison guards. Morse, a former army Ranger, ranger with three tours of duty in Afghanistan, was arrested in June and later indicted on numerous counts, including assaulting a police officer and disorderly conduct. Morse is named in a multi-defendant case with others who battled police near the Lower West Terrace Tunnel where law enforcement officers from D.C. Metro and Capitol Police were attacking peaceful protesters. In July, Judge Trevor McFadden, a Trump appointee to the D.C. District Court, denied Morse's release pending trial. Morse met, met with his attorney, John C. Keonaga. In advance of a status hearing schedule for Friday afternoon, after Morse returned to the so-called pod, prison guards informed him he would need to be strip searched. By telephone from the jail Thursday afternoon, Morse told me this was the fifth time he has been subjected to a strip search, but this time guards ordered him to remove his underwear. He said there were five guards there, including a few I didn't know. I asked for literature that authorized the strip search, and they refused to answer. A female guard with a cell phone repeatedly asked Morse if he was resisting the strip search. Morse said officers with the ERT, which he said stands for Emergency Response Team, then handcuffed him and put him in a black room with a chair. One prison guard, Corporal Armstrong, was present as well. Morse said, they shoved me around and maced me. When I opened my mouth, they pointed the can of mace toward my mouth. Morse's humiliating search included graphic details of a sexual nature. American Greatness will not disclose these details to protect Morse's privacy. Morse said this was direct retaliation for meeting with his lawyer. Lawyers planned to file a motion seeking Morse's release from the D.C. jail. On Wednesday, Judge Royce Lamberth issued a ruling to immediately transport Christopher Worrell, a cancer sufferer who's been in the D.C. jail since April, to a jail in Alexandria, Virginia, over fear he would be punished upon return to the jail after his hearing. Judge Lamberth met with officials from the U.S. Marshals Service, the official custodian of January 6 defendants, last week for a briefing about conditions in the jail. One official told Judge Lamberth that staff members were observed antagonizing detainees, telling them not to cooperate with the court-ordered inspection. Judge Lamberth told federal prosecutors on Wednesday that some of the conduct by prison employees resulted in civil rights and probably criminal violations. Nearly five months after his arrest, Morse still has no court date. Judge McFadden has complained in court that Biden's Justice Department is delaying discovery, but has taken no actions to ensure the constitutional and human rights of court-ordered detainees are being protected. That is uh, Julie Kelly again. American greatness article entitled "J Six Detainees Subjected to Post Lawyer Meeting Strip Search," and I'll put that on my Facebook page. Also, there is uh, so much going on, you know, and we look at what happened in Virginia with a blue blue state being turned red on election night. We look at what happened in New Jersey with a number of longtime Democrat members of the state legislature being defeated by Republican upstarts and the corrupt incumbent Democrat governor of New Jersey being declared the winner by a hair, with many ballots still outstanding. So, I mean, it looks like they're trying to steal that. We look at what happened in Seattle with a conservative Republican defeating the Democrat prosecutor there in Seattle, of all places. And so we hold out hope that perhaps we will not lose what remains of our Freedom and our liberty here in the United States of America, but it's a crying shame. It's a crying shame that uh, Joe Biden seems to seems to be not just the third Obama term, but the third Woodrow Wilson term. You know, Wilson had about a hundred thousand political prisoners. Um, I mean, this is supposed to be the, the home of the free, land of the brave, you know. We're supposed to have a constitution. People are supposed to have constitutional rights. Um, there are big cities in this country where people indicted for murder are let on a bail, and uh, people, for that matter, that law enforcement says there's probable cause they committed murder are not even indicted by big city, far-left prosecutors. And yet these people, many of whom are not even charged with any kind of violent crime, just nonviolent misdemeanors, are being tormented and tortured in jail simply for supporting Donald Trump you know, it's easy to say, why don't more Republicans in Congress do something about it? But it's not easy to say, because he's still beloved by so many Americans, why doesn't Donald Trump do something about it? The least he could do is get some sort of legal defense fund going. Now, I noticed that uh, Matt Schlapp and Mercedes Schlapp got a legal defense fund going, and then I looked a little bit deeper. Oh. Oh, okay. For anybody who in the Trump administration who might be caught up, prosecuted as a result of this January sixth commission in Congress, but not for the people, not for the people who are being tortured in jail, not for them. That says a lot. It says a lot. Uh, by the way, today's Doc Washburn show will be somewhat abbreviated. We've gotten to the point recently where we've been going an hour and a half, sometimes an hour, 45 minutes, sometimes longer. Uh, But we're going to cut it off uh, just short of an hour today because uh, the great Dan Bongino has asked me to come on his program to begin hour two of his live radio show today at uh, 105 Eastern, 1205 Central. So we look forward to doing that. Let me share with you what Kimberly Strassel, Wall Street Journal, is saying this morning. I have not, since I started the, the podcast slash live stream, I haven't really gotten much into special counsel John Durham because I haven't wanted to get anyone's hopes up. A lot of us thought that Durham was going to be uh, coming up with a lot of stuff before the election last November. And we're disappointed when he didn't. But I believe it's my duty to tell you what he's doing now, okay? Kimberly Strass, the Wall Street Journal, this morning. Durham and the Clinton dossier, subtitle: A New Indictment Continues the Slow Unraveling of a 2016 Political Scandal. And she says, the nation argued for five years over the infamous Steele dossier, the document on which the Federal Bureau of Investigation relied to investigate Donald Trump's 2016 campaign. It should have been called, instead of the Steele dossier, the Clinton dossier. Special Counsel John Durham this week obtained an indictment of a, a man named Igor Danchenko, a Russian who provided information for the dossier. Mr. Danchenko is charged with lying to the FBI, but the bigger story of the indictment is Democrats' central role in every aspect of the dossier and the FBI investigation. Never forget the original claim. According to the FBI, Democrats and the media, Mr. Trump harbored secret and nefarious ties with Russia. We knew that because, as Mother Jones explained in a 2016 article that became the reigning storyline, Christopher Steele was, according to them, a credible source with a proven record of providing reliable, sensitive, and important information to the U.S. government. They said he had come across troubling evidence of Trump collusion and brought it to U.S. law enforcement. Now, it took a year for congressional investigators to reveal the dossier had in fact been commissioned by the opposition research firm Fusion GPS working for the Democrat Party in Hillary Clinton's campaign. It took two more years for Justice Department Inspector General Michael Horowitz to expose the fact that Mr. Steele had relied on a Russian source who said he had never expected Steele to present his info as facts since most of it was hearsay. Two more years on, Mr. Durham's indictment, says the source, Mr. Danchenko, obtained material from a longtime Democrat operative who was active in the 2016 Clinton campaign. Clintonites here, Clintonites there, Trump scandals everywhere. The revelation should not surprise us given that Mr. Danchenko was never some high-level Russian in Moscow. From 2005 through 2010, Danchenko worked at the Washington-based Brookings Institution, a center-left think tank. Around the end of that employment, the indictment asserts he was introduced to PR executive one, a Clinton crony who the New York Times confirmed he is Charles Dolan. Now, Mr. Dolan has long been in Clinton circles, having served seven years as head of the Democrat Governors Association and state chairman of Bill Clinton's 1992 and 1996 presidential campaigns. President Clinton appointed him to a State Department Advisory Commission, and the indictment notes he was an active volunteer on Mrs. Clinton's 2016 campaign. He also had far more ties to Russians than anyone in Mr. Trump's circle, having for eight years helped handle global pu- pu- global public relations for the Russian government. And throughout 2016, he interacted frequently with senior Russian officials and Russian embassy staff. Now, the indictment reveals that in August 2016, Mr. Danchenko asked Mr. Dolan for any thought, rumor, or allegation regarding the summer's resignation of Paul Manafort as Mr. Trump's campaign manager. Mr. Danchenko explained he was working on a project against Trump. Mr. Dolan replied that he'd had a drink with a GOP friend of his who knew some of the players and provided gossip. Sentences of this email appear nearly verbatim in the Steele dossier, though they are hilariously sourced to a, quote, close associate of Trump, unquote. Well, clearly Dolan was close associate of Hillary, not Trump. Anyway, to add farce to fantasy, the indictment says Mr. Dolan later told the FBI he had fabricated meeting a GOP friend, and had simply passed on info he had read in the press. The indictment notes Mr. Dolan was connected to yet other people and events that appear in the dossier. He traveled to Moscow, June 2016, to plan a conference. He stayed at the Moscow Ritz-Carlton, where he met the general manager and staff and toured the presidential suite. The dossier's ugliest accusation against Mr. Trump, which involves disgusting sexual acts, happens to be set in the Ritz-Carlton's presidential suite and to mention the hotel manager and staff. Mr. Danchenko met with Mr. Dolan at the Moscow Hotel on that trip. He flew soon after to London to provide information to Mr. Steele for his dossier. The indictment flags meetings, emails, and calls that suggest Mr. Dolan passed plenty of other information to Mr. Danchenko for the dossier. This includes information... He might have obtained during visits to the Russian embassy in Washington. Did the Russians know where this was going? Mr. Dolan was also in regular communication with Olga Galkinka, another Russian who fed information to mister Danchenko for the dossier. What did, I'm sorry, did I mispronounce her name? Olga Galkina. Ms. Galkina noted in two separate emails that she was expecting Mr. Dolan to get her a State Department job in the Hillary Clinton administration. Well. The indictment alleges Mr. Danchenko lied about Mr. Dolan's interaction with the dossier when the Bureau belatedly tried to check the dossier's accuracy. The indictment says all this deprived the FBI of the ability to learn about the reliability, motivations, and potential bias of the Democrat source. True, though, this latest indictment, again, paints the FBI as either inept or biased. According to the charges, Mr. Dolan told the FBI that the Clinton campaign did not direct him and wasn't aware of his dealings with Mr. Danchenko and that he didn't know his info would land at the FBI. Maybe, though the indictment notes that one Dolan email from early 2017 expressed knowledge that Danchenko and supplied information to the dossier now in the news. Now, uh, the Clinton dossier should go down as one of the biggest scandals in U.S. political history, not just for the breadth of the con, but for the time it has taken to expose it. That's uh, Kimberly Strassel over at Wall Street Journal, the article entitled Durham and the Clinton dossier. But i got to tell you something. I got to tell you something. The FBI knew it was all a lie. Comey and Mueller should be in jail, in my humble opinion, and you're entitled to it. They knew it was all a lie. Didn't Horowitz, the Inter- inspector general of the DOJ, say the FBI had identified Danchenko by some time in December 2016 and yet they chose? to attach the two-page addendum to the intelligence community report before they interviewed him, and then they leaked its content. When Comey said CNN was looking for a news hook on the dossier, remember that? Remember that? And all these folks giving each other Pulitzers, Washington Post, New York Times, for something they knew wasn't true. for something they knew wasn't true. I mean, redstate.com says the Danchenko indictment shows the FBI knew the Steele dossier was a lie and probably Russian-influenced since 2017, and they kept going after Trump anyway, based on what they knew was a lie. Mueller kept going after Trump for two years anyway, based on what he knew was a lie. You know what I'm saying, Holmes? The remarkable thing about it is that this special counsel, John Durham, is being allowed by Biden's Justice Department to indict people. I, I, I don't know how. I don't know how. Look, one of the things we try to do here is not only highlight some of the bad things that are going on in our country, but we also try when we can when we become uh, aware of them to offer some solutions now you remember how barack obama joe biden and nancy pelosi jammed obamacare down our throats remember that remember pelosi saying well <laughs> it's just going to have to pass it uh, so you can find what's find out what's in it uh, so we found out Obamacare, the so-called Affordable Care Act, which was supposed to make health care more affordable, of course, as we knew, made it much more expensive. I mean, does your health insurance premium feel like a second mortgage? Does your sky-high deductible prevent you from going to the doctor? Do your sky-high copays keep you from going to the doctor? Obviously, for Obama, Biden, and Pelosi, that's a feature, not a bug. They don't want you healthy. But if you answer yes to any of these questions, if you're tired of health insurance being so expensive, well, you need to talk to my friend Art Wilborn. His website is called myfamilyhealthplan.com. Now, Art has been listening to my show since back when I did a local show in Little Rock, Arkansas, for years and years and years. And he's licensed in Arkansas and Texas, our two biggest states so far for the Doc Washburn Show. But he's able to, if you're in another state, get you help from somebody licensed in that state. And here's the great thing with Art Wilborn and MyFamilyHealthPlan.com. Not only, not only, is your insurance much more affordable, but you also get an insurance plan that won't insult your morality. You know, you you don't have to cover stuff that, well, frankly, stuff that insults your deeply held religious beliefs. You know, you don't get a health plan like, uh, like Obamacare that makes you cover abortion or anything like that. You can save 30 to 50% on premiums. You get personalized health coverage, low to no deductible, no co-pays. Is this starting to sound good to you? The website is myfamilyhealthplan.com. You can go to Art's website, book a free consultation, and he'll make sure there are no gaps in your coverage. Let me run it by you again. Save 30 to 50% on premiums, personalized health coverage, low to no deductible, no co-pays. How is this possible? Find out. Find out. Save money on your insurance at myfamilyhealthplan.com. You'll be glad you did. You will be glad you did. All right. Um, really looking forward to being on with Dan Bongino today at one o five Eastern, twelve o five Central. Dan Bongino is a guy who has done something remarkable and unprecedented in the uh, the radio business. I, I I've I got on the radio in 1977. I've never seen anybody really put his money where his mouth is, which is what Dan Bongino has done for those of us who were fired from a company called Cumulus Media because we refused to be injected with some kind of experimental drug. All right? Okay? Now, That having been said, you ever heard of a woman named Jennifer Granholm? She used to be Democrat governor of Michigan, and she's now energy secretary for Joe Biden. And she was on Bloomberg this morning, and she was asked about Biden's plans to bring gas prices down. Here's how that went.
1: In Sturgis, Michigan, it is $2.89 a gallon. I guess that's better than in California. What is the Home plan to increase oil production in America? <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> that is hilarious. Would that I had the magic wand on this. As you know, of course, uh, oil is a global market. It is controlled by a cartel. That cartel is called OPEC, and they made a decision
0: yesterday, that they were not going to increase beyond what they were already planning. Okay, so she's laughing at you. And Joe Biden is laughing at you. And Kamala Harris laughs at everything. She, you know, not a brain in her head. But the people who are pulling their strings are laughing at you. So, um, I like the way Jim Treacher put it out there on Twitter. He says, American citizens are saying we can't afford to gas up our cars so we can go to work and earn the money. We need to pay double what we paid a year ago for groceries. Please help us. And American leaders responding, laughing at you. Laughing at you. She doesn't have the answer to bringing gas prices down. She doesn't have the answer to uh, producing more energy out out of America because clearly, on day one, Joe Biden shut down the Keystone XL pipeline. He wants you to pay more at the pump. You know? He and his handlers want you to have to pay more at the pump. Now, Democrats have been shocked that um, calling parents domestic terrorists and racists for not wanting their daughters raped in school bathrooms by guys wearing skirts for not wanting their children taught that they are oppressed or oppressors when they're five years old, depending upon what color their skin is, they're shocked that uh, in blue states like uh, New Jersey and Virginia, Republican, Independent, and Democrats voted those people out. Shocked, I tell you, shocked. Well, if Republicans running for office have any sense at all, Jennifer Granholm laughing at the idea that you're paying too much of the pump, that should be a commercial for everybody. For everybody. Now, let me get back for a moment this guy I've been following on Twitter for a long time. He goes by the name Undercover Huber, and he kind of put a fine point on what's going on with John Durham. Again, I haven't talked about Durham. I don't think I've even mentioned him in the first 18 episodes of the Doc Washburn Show live stream slash podcast because a lot of us had our hopes up last year and nothing happened, and he's indicting people now, but... I feel it's at least my duty to let you know what's going on. Okay, Special Counsel John Durham has now alleged in a federal indictment that Clinton paid Shill, Christopher Steele's primary and only real source, fabricated the idea that Donald Trump, Carter Page, and Paul Manafort were involved in a well-developed conspiracy of cooperation with Russia. The FBI literally cut and pasted that exact wording of a, quote, well-developed conspiracy, unquote, into a FISA warrant and multiple renewals, including one signed off after Robert Mueller took over the investigation. The FBI then redacted the term well-developed conspiracy of cooperation from the FISAs when they were released, because by this time, they had interviewed the man who claimed to be Christopher Steele's source, this Igor Deshins, Desh, Deshenko guy, and they knew he was lying. and wanted to, They wanted to protect the lie they'd sworn to in a secret court. Now let that sink in. Adam Schiff, congressman out of California, also tried to cover for this by claiming that the FISAs didn't really use much of the dossier. Narrow use is what he said. Because of the redactions, you couldn't tell he was lying at the time, or being lied to by the feds he was supposed to be doing oversight on. If John Durham wants to look into a conspiracy that actually exists, there's one right there. Between an FBI protecting fabricators because they had used their lies in court and folks like Adam Schiff desperate to help hide the truth, all to keep the Russian collusion big lie going. Oh, oh, oh. And um, Christopher Steele's fabricating source claimed The well-developed conspiracy lie came from Source E and also lied that this was a guy named Sergei Millian, a lie the Washington Post, the New York Times, virtually all the media also ran with for years. Usual story there. Steele's clown source also attributed confirmation of the P tape garbage to Source E as well. So like we knew all along, but the entire media pretended not to know, That was always straight-up made-up. The guy's been arrested for fabricating the stuff and lying about it, guys. Durham's also just helped make clear why the dossier is a total mess when it comes to sources E and D and getting them mixed up. It's not some James Bond spycraft deliberate obfuscation. Christopher Steele just couldn't keep track of all the lies. He was being fed, he was creating, or both. So... Eye on the ball. Christopher Steele was the guy who paid this fabricator and had him on payroll, but he was just a cutout. It was Hillary Clinton's campaign that paid Christopher Steele for the fabricated collusion hoax. This all goes back to Hillary Clinton. And it always did. It always did. All right. I'm going to have to check out this um, January 6th series that Tucker Carlson has out there. Because Julie Kelly says that he is really getting into the real deal what actually happened, all right? And uh, I know that if you go to tuckercarlson.com, it's right there. I think it's called Patriot Purge. So i got to check that out this weekend because I'm, I'm looking forward to not too many people want to get the truth out. Now, we got about a three-and-a-half-minute clip here. Powerful story from January 6th political prisoner, retired Navy Lieutenant Commander Thomas Caldwell, about his time in solitary confinement. He and his wife talking to Tucker Carlson, and it went something like this. So you didn't get bonded out. So how long did you spend in jail?
1: Well, it was 53 days altogether, 49 in solitary confinement. Uh, I think their solitary confinement cells were too crowded. So that's why they didn't put me in there initially, but that's a long, long time, especially in solitary confinement. And I'll tell you what, I can tell you a lot about that if you're interested. It's, uh, it was really, really bad. Well, tell to actually tell us something about it. I mean, I don't think most of our viewers have been in solitary confinement on false charges in their own country. So it's an unusual experience. I certainly hope that nobody ever has to go through that. But I, I tell people that I went to hell. It was hell. Now, if you ask somebody, Tucker, what is hell? And people will say, well, there's fire and there's this and there's that. OK, I get that. Here's what hell really is, okay? Hell is isolation. Now, there was no river of fire for me, okay? But I was isolated and ice-cold air blowing on me 24 hours a day. I, I couldn't stop shivering from the whole time I was in there. And part of the thing about being in solitary confinement is it's supposed to be punishment well what the heck had I done I hadn't even been to trial for anything but I was put in what amounts to a supermax uh, with the most hardened criminals that they had in that particular facility but there was really it was kind of a situation where you were off kilter you didn't know if it was day or night um, you didn't know what time it was now this prison that I was put in, this is not a happy little prison like on Andy of Mayberry where Otis the Drunk would come in, let himself into the cell, sleep it off, Aunt B brings him breakfast in the morning and he goes home. No, this was a concrete box. It was, it was a coffin. I was in a concrete coffin with a huge steel door and I was absolutely alone. What hell is, is isolation and it's hopelessness. And you know, sometimes it's deathly quiet in hell, but sometimes it's very, very loud. There is life, in a manner of speaking, going on around you but you don't have any interface with people. And people are herd animals. And so one of the things that you want to do is you want to be around people. One of the problems with this COVID lockdown is people get tremendous anxiety when they're separated from their family and everything that they know. And we know that people commit suicide and this, that, and the other thing. And this is terrible. This is terrible stuff. And don't think for a minute that people who are locked up in that hell don't think about those things. And I I shared with Sharon the other day um, one of the other things about this hell that I was in is you think about the anguish of the other people that are in the same situation that you are in. And in the middle of the night or in the middle of the day, you could hear screams, screams echoing down the passageway of people that were either hurt or they were in anguish or something. And it was it was actually Absolutely, absolutely horrible.
0: Okay, so that's a clip from uh, Tucker Carlson. thing he's doing over on Fox Nation. Try to get the truth out about how our January 6th political prisoners are being treated. And um, I don't know much about Fox Nation, but I know that they're saying if you you go to TuckerCarlson.com, you can see the whole thing. It's a, it's a series and I'm going to try to watch it this, this weekend because, um, uh, I, uh, I really respect Tucker for having the guts to bring this up, you know, because, um, uh, a lot of people don't want it brought up and clearly, Republicans, very, very few Republicans in Congress, are speaking up for these January six political prisoners. Uh, Donald Trump could find the money for legal defense funds in his sofa cushions, but he's not doing anything. And that's just uh, that's just outrageous to me. It's horrendous. You know, after what they did to him, okay. After what they did to him all these years, and some people decided to go to the Capitol and peacefully protest, and many people are being prosecuted for nonviolent misdemeanors and not allowed bail and, and, and horribly mistreated, and he's not lifting a finger. And that's a crying shame, man. That's a crying shame. All right, um, before we get out of here, uh, Dr. Ben Carson tells Fox News children should absolutely not get COVID shots. He says it's a giant experiment. A giant experiment. And I will post that article on my Facebook page also. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, God bless him for speaking truth to power. Associated Press announced a person traveling with Joe Biden to Europe this week tested positive for the coronavirus. The fully vaccinated person did not have close contact with Biden, according to the administration, and remained in Scotland to quarantine. So Biden's going to continue ignoring what he's told, which is cough into your elbow. He's going to continue coughing right into his hand and then walking down from podiums and shaking hands with people with that hand. He doesn't believe there's an epidemic. It's all about control. I know, I know. He's got the dementia and everything. I know, I get it. I get it. I get it. Absolutely. All right. um, This has been episode number, what is it, 19? I believe we're episode number 19 of the Doc Washburn Show. It's a lot shorter today because i got to get ready to get on the air with uh, Dan Bongino on his radio show here in a few moments. Episode number 19, November fifth, 2021. And God willing, we look forward to seeing you uh, Monday at noon Eastern, 11 Central, and of course, wherever podcasts are available. God bless you. Have a great weekend. Thank you.